Welcome, everybody, to the Fandom Podcast Network special presentation of Time Warp Live, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series retrospective. And on this special Time Warp, uh, especially right around Halloween, we love to look back uh, at a show or a movie that definitely has a lot of Halloween themes. And one of those wonderful shows, of course, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, as of this recording, came out about 26 years ago, and we wanted to uh, showcase. We've talked about Buffy before on the, on the network, but we wanted to showcase it during our uh, video renaissance here on YouTube, Fan Podcast Network. And uh, of course, you know, I have to have my own Scooby game for that. I also have my uh, Dingo Ate My Baby t shirt, which my lovely wife got me. And you know what? Speaking of my lovely wife, let's go ahead and get her in here. Erin, how are you? Welcome to Yay. Buffy. <laughs> Yay, the show ever. You are the resident Buffy expert. I am married to you, and I appreciate that very much. Also, thank you very much for the t-shirt you got me. With. No, that's okay. I loved how you went, do I have a t-shirt? I'm like, yes. Do I have a Buffy t-shirt? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, we have more to bring into our Scooby gang. And of course, the queen of movie foo herself just did a enormous rewatch of the entire series, which makes her an expert now. Welcome, Lacey. What's Hi. up? Hooray. I'm excited to get your input on this, Lacey, because I'm actually in the middle of my rewatch. I'm not done with it. I just uh, transitioned from season two to season three. Right you, on. however, have just gotten through all of it, which I didn't know you were doing. Yeah, I did a full uh, Buffy Angel combination. So I did full all 12 seasons and I staggered them appropriately. Nice. Like like well within done. the seasons, not even like within the episodes. So I would do, wow. I got all the, yeah. That's dedication. So is that season four? Oh, I have to keep changing everything. Yeah. <laughs> four, five, and six were rough. Well, <laughs> We have one more person to add to our Scooby gang here for Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series here. And, of course, that is my brother from another mother and fellow founder of the Fandom Podcast Network, Mr. Kyle Wagner. What's up, buddy? Yay. I put off a date at the Bronze with Cordelia for this, so it's going to be worthwhile. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and get right in this. Of course, this is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are celebrating the entire series here. we got a lot of topics here. Jedi Jones gets in here. Each generational stream, a Slayer will talk, but not alone. Oh, not alone. <laughs> Welcome, David. Good to see you. Uh, so the, as I mentioned, this is the Fandom Podcast Network. If you're uh, watching this, please give us a like and a subscribe. Share it out. We'd appreciate that. If you're listening to this podcast, please check out the video version and uh, give us some love there because I have a lot of fun um, you know, slides to go along with the topics. And of course, this is the Fandom Podcast Network Time Warp Show, which uh, Lacey uh, and Kyle, we are also doing Time Warp 1983 this year. And coming soon, we're going to have part uh, five. We're going to be talking about October and November. So make sure you check that out as well. And so we thought that we would combine our favorite time machine travel uh, you know, devices here, a DeLorean with a hot tub in it. So we're going to go back into time, back into 1987 when this little show came out. Let's go check out Buffy the Vampire. 87? 97? 87? What did I say? 87? Oh, yeah. my God. 97. <laughs> I'm stuck in the 80s, guys. 
I'm stuck in the 80s. But let's go check out Quickly before we do, can I just say that to Kyle and Lacey and you, Kevin, thank you for helping us drive through the top half of the UK because we use Time Warp, all of 82, 81, everything to listen to while we were driving right through all of the UK, literally. That's what we listened to. It was great. Yeah, I... I was the DJ on my phone and I had, we played almost every time warp that we could of, of recent uh, memory. So it was great. <laughs> we had hours, hours <laughs> to do it, but it was good. So thank you guys. Going forward to fans out there, do revisit those time warps of those 80 and 81s and 83s and 86s. I don't know. We did them all really. Enjoy. All right. Let's go back in time to 1997. <laughs> All right, guys, this is Time Warp, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series retrospective. And, uh, you know, what I thought that we would do first is kind of uh, let's let's talk to you guys first. When and where did you first watch it? Did you get into a little bit late? Did you watch it when it came out on on uh, some type of physical media, DVDs, VHS, what have you? Uh, did you get in it right from the beginning? Let's start with you, Aaron. Where did you start with Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Where were you? So I was living in the UK and I just started at Forbidden Planet London, excuse me, in New Oxford Street in the old uh, store. And um, it was sort of nothing had really come out about it. I think it, no, it hadn't even come over TV there. I think it was still playing in America. But you course, you had Starburst and, you know, certain um a sort of fan magazine, sci-fi magazines were bringing out covers, femme fatale, all that sort of stuff. But what happened to me is that for some reason um, the company Fox decided to bring out like Hellmouth and Hellmouth One, um, the um, Buffy um, Surprise and Innocence and uh, uh, Becoming One and Two out on video at Light Blockbuster. So you couldn't get the whole series, but you could get those episodes. So when I started getting into it, because a woman I worked with was American and her mum was sending, like, recordings of it to her in England, um, I decided I'd rent Hellmouth, Hellmouth One. And I went, yeah, that's cool. Oh, this is really good. And I got into it, fun. And then I went, oh, well, I'll watch, like, Surprise and Innocence, not knowing there was, like, a whole season and a half in the middle. So when I started watching it, I'm like, wow, Buffy's cut her hair and she's wearing really dark eyeliner. And <laughs> oh, I think I'm a little bit out of whack here. So it's this weird double thing. So I didn't jump into becoming. I had to wait and go through them all. So okay. that's how I got it. I was a little bit spoiler <laughs> um, to where, you know, from the beginning of um, Buffy to when Buffy technically changed and may came an adult show literally in those episodes so that's how gotcha. i found it very cool lacy what about you how and when did you first get into buffy well okay so i worked at blockbuster when the original movie came out and i was a huge fan of the original movie so when i heard that they were getting ready to reboot and do a tv show i was like vehemently opposed i was ticked off i was like you guys are crazy why would you even do this this is perfection and like this is why why would you and then 
somewhere in season two, there's an episode where I guess it's uh, I think it's surprise where um, they're getting ready for the party. And I was like channel surfing and I saw the interaction between um, Giles and Xander where they're, they're getting together in the morning and he's Giles says, you know, is everything ready? And he's like, yeah, you ready to get down you funky party weasel. And that line made me go, Oh, okay. I have to see this show. This is hilarious and amazing. And, and the, the whole, there was a little bit more to the conversation, but um, I immediately was like, okay, how do I find the first season? Because this isn't, you know, back in the day, this isn't where you can just find them. So you had, I had to wait until I, you know, during reruns over the summer, kind of collect them, you know, piecemeal for the first 12 episodes and the first, I think, six episodes of season two or seven episodes for season two. So um, when they started coming out on VHS and and later on DVD, you know, I finally got to see like the one or two that I still hadn't seen. Um, but yeah, so I was I was a big fan. And the thing is, the, the three pack of, of videos that... Aaron's talking about that was uh, that was actually in the U.S. It was packaged as a three, as a six pack best of, and so it was six six episodes, two episodes per di- per um, VHS cassette, and it was a box set. Gotcha. That I had proudly displayed okay. on my little shelf because I was very and I, <laughs> everyone who was like, "You said you would hate it. You never watch it." I was like, "Yeah, you got to watch this." And I became like the ultimate like fan. Yeah. Gotcha. Kyle, what about you? Uh, when and where did you first get into Buffy? Um, for me, Buffy was probably around halfway through season two. Um, it was one of those things to where I was kind of aware of it because I was working in a comic shop at the time. And I'm like, it's Buffy. Come on. I was I, unlike Lacey. I wasn't a huge fan of the original film, but a friend of mine recommended it to me. I found it. I checked it out. I was like, OK, this is infinitely better than what I thought it would be. Luckily, he also happened to record all the first season because the first season was so hard to find it was it was aired at a weird time in weird things because buffy first season of buffy was syndication it wasn't on a network per se and that was one of the buffy has such a weird history within its own networks that and i know we'll get into that a little bit later but um I, i truly do believe that most of the buffy fans out there were late getting into the buffy game whether it was season two season three because I just really don't I think a lot of people jumped on it right out of the gate. And luckily, it was word of mouth for those few diehards that jumped on it right out of the gate that really helped spread it. It's one of those shows that I really think, considering it was before the internet, to grow as it did before by just word of mouth is absolutely astounding. Well said, Kyle. You know, what's funny is I was one of those people that got into Buffy a little bit late. I was into some other TV shows and hobbies, uh, specifically in the late 90s. And of course, big into Star Wars and Star Trek at the time. But I moved to Virginia to work for a game company in the beginning of 99. And of course, a couple of the uh, fellow geeks that I work with were huge fans of Buffy. And they were, we kind of got into this rhythm of going over to someone's house and watching like the new episode of 24. That was a big thing for us. Uh, and Buffy became one of those shows. And I, at that time, I was, I was, I think it was going into season four, maybe. And there's a little bit of season three left, if I remember correctly. And uh, so I was, uh, <laughs> 
I was a little, I, I liked the watching together of all these things. And I was curious about Buffy. I just never got into it right away. And so I know that they started coming out on video in 2000. And in combination with that, as you mentioned, Kyle, uh, my friend that I was working with had also been recording them on VHS. And what I loved about this guy was that he was my kind of VHS recorder was he would record the shows uh, when they came on and without like commercials. It was great. And so he gave me those. And then I got caught up, I think, uh, on some VHS or DVD that came out and let me, they let me borrow them. I hadn't bought my own yet. And so going out of season three into season four with the whole initiative and Riley, that's when I started watching live. And then, of course, I jumped in on Angel, like pretty much from the beginning because they were watching Angel as well. And uh, I, I watched Angel all the way through. I watched Buffy all the way through. And then I kind of left it alone for a little while. And I did some other fandoms. But something kind of always kept me kind of attached to it or coming back to it or discussion around it. And then I went and married a woman who's crazy about it. So, you know, I couldn't, <laughs> can't ever get rid of it. So. <laughs> all I right, guys. I have a pillow that I yes. hold when I watch TV that has Buffy on it. But uh, yeah, I have that over here in the den. Got got one of those too. So yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let's head into the next topic here. All right. Let's talk about how Buffy the Vampire Slayer has influenced pop culture big time. I found a great article uh, by Mike Delaney, and this came out in 2017, uh, which I believe was the 20th anniversary of Buffy. And uh, it was on www.fandom.com, and it was how Buffy the Vampire Slayer has influenced pop culture. Uh, in the past 20 years, Buffy Slayer has appeared in our screens. Many of the concepts it introduced to television are now taken for granted. Created by Josh Whedon, Buffy's new gr grew beyond its original concept to become a groundbreaking series that still feels relevant today. The influence of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on television cannot be overstated. It was a breath of fresh air that took the world by storm. And we take a look at the many ways that Buffy the Vampire Slayer has influenced pop culture. Leading women. Uh, Buffy did not start the trend, of course, but it had a huge cast and guest stars of strong female lead characters. And that was by design by Josh. Uh, also to Buffy speak, one of the most memorable things about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the dialogue employed by much of the young cast dubbed Buffy speak. It serves to underline the youth of characters like Buffy, Willow, Xander by giving them a unique way of speaking compared to the more formal and proper Giles. Buffy speak has since slipped into the common usage throughout television. Perhaps one of the most memorable uses in recent times have been the Doctor Who shows. Russell T. Davies admits he was influenced by Buffy as well. Also, season arcs. Love them or hate them, Buffy popularized the use of season-long arcs on the television. Each season had a particular big bad who Buffy had to defeat. Also, we had the uh, social commentary. And amongst all of the demon and vampire slaying, Buffy the Vampire Slayer also dealt with more normal issues. The main characters were all in high school, so along with worrying about the end of the world, they were also worrying about studying and exams, which nearly everyone can relate to. Other issues dealt with over the course of the series, including bullying, relationship anxiety, losing one's virginity, discovering one's sexuality, and even dealing with the loss of a parent or loved one. And also, 
Buffy was great for this normalization of the geek culture. When Buffy the Vampire first aired, it quickly became one of the shows that was acceptable to talk about in front of your non-geek friends. Buffy crossed boundary lines due to its likable characters, fun but serious plots, and accessibility. No longer did geeks have to hide the shows they watched because everyone was watching Buffy as well. Aaron, I want to start with you on this. I know we've touched on this before, you and I. Uh, and uh, we know that Buffy over the years has had a huge, huge impact on pop culture. For you personally, uh, what have you seen in pop culture shows nowadays or what have you that Buffy has influenced? Um, oh, God. I don't know. I mean, I suppose, well, you know, you started, they started bringing out Charmed and, and you know, the, the Pretty Little Lies. You had a lot more of the... Um, you know, women taking over. It wasn't just sort of, you know, they were in the background really where they were in Star Trek and stuff like that. So they were sort of at the forefront. They could carry a show. Um, again, I don't know. I, I, I mean, the, the thing is I don't get that deep into it. I'm more of enjoyment. I'm not, you know, I mean, I've enjoyed people sort of pulling it all apart, but Looking into other shows, I always think Buffy is just unique, and that's why I love it. I don't. It, it did go into other stuff, but then I also think no one's ever going to be able to repeat it ever. Don't care if the, you know. We'll talk about that later. But to me, it's just unique in everything because going forward, as much as you had other shows that came out, Buffy will always live longer than that. Interesting. I like that. Good. Good take. Lacey, what about you? Uh, what have you seen when it comes to the influence that Buffy and the show style that it presented um, influenced uh, pop culture? I think that just as far as television in general, um, between Buffy and then a couple of years later, The West Wing, and then the year after that, Gilmore Girls, the concept of not spoon feeding your audience was com like completely obliterated you know like it was completely over you you know with Buffy and Angel and you know some of the shows I also mentioned you know you would start in the middle of a conversation you'd show up and you just had to catch up you know they didn't they didn't spoon feed the audience anymore and it was just a matter of speaking at a more you know a quick a quicker pace and you know people would talk over each other and um, I think that 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 was definitely part of a change in television to, to now where you see shows where you've got, you know, any number of shows where they just, nobody spoon feeds anybody, anything. Um, they, they started having, you know, in procedural shows, they started having, you know, uh, lawyers consult for law shows and doctors consult for like Grey's Anatomy and St. Elsewhere and all these other, whatever. Um, and I think that's because they realized that the viewer was not as dumb as you thought they were. And I think that that's a big reason that television is the way it is today. And I think Buffy's part of that. Um, me personally, I picked up a bunch of the things that like Cordelia is my inner demon. Like I love her <laughs> quips and whatever. So I've on numerous occasions, I've asked someone if they, you know, don't they have an elsewhere to be? Um, I've asked people like, you know, many, many Cordelia quips have, uh, have, accidentally made their way into my conversation. <laughs> That's great. Kyle, what have you uh, observed about the impact that Buffy's had in pop culture? It's had a huge impact in pop culture and how we absorb our pop culture too. Um, for me, one of the biggest things with Buffy is 
Buffy changed dialogue in shows. Josh, the way Josh Whedon wrote and how the dialogue was executed in these shows changed the game. It was it was it was quick. It was fast. It was quirky, and you see so many shows that have come after Buffy. Excuse me, using those same things within their dialogue. I, I mean, obviously, Whedon was for a long time credited with with creating that Whedon verse feel and the the way the dialogue rolls. But Buffy was big on that. I think. Buffy also became a show you, you brought it up earlier with the big with the overarching story arcs. But the, the thing with Buffy was is it still found a good balance of having the overarching story arc but having bottle episodes as well. And I think that's why one of the things that has been kind of lost lost since Buffy's come out is people are so fo- more focused on the overall story arc. I also think there's an aspect of this show, especially in the '90s, was having characters, the viewers who were watching it of the same age or within that age range, we could relate to them. And I think what Buffy did being, because originally, like I said, season one was syndication, then it went to the WB network. And then, and this is kind of its own history itself. Buffy is one of the few shows that's bounced around different networks and survived. It was syndication, WB, then UPN. And so to survive three different network changes, we never saw a show changing a network was rare if ever. So that was a big deal. But I think, I think the other thing is, too, is just the rela- television that becomes relatable. And I think for all the craziness of this, this science fiction side of Buffy, there was so much in Buffy that was relatable, especially to people in that time period. And it was written so well and written in a way that wasn't dumbed down and, and, dealt, with, and dealt with the intelligence of its viewers instead of trying to make it keep it simple, stupid television. That's a good point, Kyle. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the thing that stands out for me uh, that you guys have touched on is definitely the uh, the quick banter, the Buffy the, the Buffy speak, as we call it. And I think that you know maybe it uh, didn't start, or but it definitely popularized it, and we saw a lot more of that going forward. The story arc was something that did happen, of course, in other shows, but I think Buffy really kind of perfected in the style that it was. You know, uh, as of now, we have uh, shorter seasons in television, and so we have these season arcs. We rarely have episodic television anymore. Uh, and so it's it's interesting how now that is the normal, is having a season arc, having a big bad that will last through most of a season and then finally being defeated later on. Uh, but uh, w- one of the things, too, that I just want to mention, too, was really, really um, – uh, Focusing in on the character development and the, the uh, camaraderie, the friendship, the love affairs, uh, the, the whatever, the coupling up of certain characters and guest stars, too, I think was something that Buffy also excelled at. And as I mentioned, too, you know, I'm doing a rewatch right now and I'm just kind of going in from season uh, two to season three. And it feels like that's where it really kind of starts to ramp up and, you know, let you know how dangerous the world this is uh, where they live and and the risks, they're not afraid to kill people, you know, and, and they, they let you know that. And so uh, I think that uh, that's a few things that uh, Buffy has definitely excelled on and had an impact on pop culture as well. So, all right, guys, let's go ahead and head into the next topic. And this one will be interesting. Interesting. <laughs> 
All right, guys, let's, what we're going to do is we're going to go over the seasons real quick. I'm going to give a quick little synopsis of it so we can let the viewers and listeners know what, you know, what was happening and who became the, the major guests, the major stars as opposed to the guest stars. And of course we have season one. Oh my God, guys, look how young they look. It's so funny. Look at the little Buffy skirt there. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, the first season of Buffy originally aired on the WB television network from March 10th through June 2nd, 1997. Um, it uh, only contained 12 episodes instead of the common 22 that others had. And then next we had season two. Here we go. And uh, by the way, in season one, though, it was uh, Sarah, Nicholas, Allison, Charisma, and Anthony as the main guest stars. And of course we had uh, Angel uh, and, and many others as well. But season two... After her death at the hands of the master and a summer vacation spent with her father, Buffy returns to Sunnydale and is strangely withdrawn in the snappy mood. She also determined to break off her relationship with Angel and seems a little too eager to renew her Slayer training. But getting Angel out of her blood proves to be harder than, than thought. Uh, as the two drive in closer, their passion erupts into danger. Neither of them could have foreseen affecting not only Vampire and Slayer, but all of Buffy's friends and family and even her watcher. And this is where David joins the cast as a full member. And we had reoccurring cast members, Juliet Landau as Drusilla, of course, James Marsters as Spike. Uh, we had, of course, Christine playing Joyce, the mom. Uh, we had uh, Robaya Lamort as Jenny. Seth Greet comes into it as well as a guest, sorry, is Oz. And of course, uh, Robin, um, uh, I'm sorry, Armin Shimmerman as Snyder and uh, many, many others. All right. Next, we have season three. The third season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer originally aired on the WB Television Network from September 29th, 1988 to September 21st, 1999. It was the last season before the spinoff of Angel. And uh, Buffy returns from the big city to find her friends have been battling the forces of evil without her. As she struggles to regain her mother's and friend's trust, a new slayer named Faith arrives in town, quickly winning all over Buffy all all of Buffy's friends, but face arrival is just the beginning of new forces. Buffy must face for a few nights after she encounters angel who has now somehow returned feral and violent from the hellish demon dimension where Buffy had sent him. But the real demon Buffy must ultimately face is already on the side of the portal, preparing for a special graduation day surprise for Sunnydale. And of course, this is where we have Seth Green uh, joining the main cast as well. And of course, Eliza Dusku as Faith and uh, Harry Groner as Wilkins, Alexis Denisoff as Wesley, and a few other notable. Uh, Emma Caulfield comes in as well as Anya. So there we go. All right. Next we have season four. Go. I get that right. Here we go. All right. Fourth season, October 5th on the W Network from October 5th, 1999 to May 23rd, 2000. Um, going concurrently with the first season of the Angel series. Buffy begins a college feeling completely overwhelmed, but once the monsters show up, it's just like old times. But she starts dating Riley, a handsome commando battling the same monsters. He's part of a secret organization called Initiative. And Buffy is all too happy to join the team, but she soon suspects the initiative may be more dangerous than the monsters they are supposed to be battling. And of course, uh, we have uh, is it James Marsters as Spike joining as full cast members, well, and Mark Lucas as Riley, uh, Lindsay Krause as Maggie Walsh, who runs uh, the um, uh, the initiative as well. 
All right. So next we have season five. This is where things get interesting here. All right. All right. Sorry, my notes are getting a little weird here. Let's do this here. All right, season five, the fifth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, originally aired from September 26, 2000 to May 22, 2001, concurrently with the second season of Angel. It was the final season of the show to be broadcast on the WB Network. All right. This here, sorry guys, my computer's going free here. Synopsis, after an unsettling encounter with the Dracula, Buffy asks Giles to once beat her watcher. Luckily, he agrees, for Buffy is about to face mortal problems, far more threatening than the undead. The sudden appearance of a sister named Dawn, her mother's mysterious illness, and Spike's undying devotion, then an undefeatable demon appears, forcing Buffy to turn into an ancient spirit guide who tells her that love is her greatest gift and power. Of course, uh, we get Amber Benson as, as Tara, and uh, we get Michelle Trachtenberg as Don joining the cast as well, and we still have Mark Lucas as Riley Finn. Right. Next, we have season six. Here we go. Look at these cast pictures. It's interesting to see them getting older and older. <laughs> and their right. clothes are getting more and more covering. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. So the sixth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer originally aired on the UPN Network from October 2nd, 2001 to May 21st, 2002, concurrently with the third season season of the Angel series. Uh, elated with having Buffy back from the dead, her friends never wonder if she may have been in a better place. Only Spike knows the truth, and as Buffy struggles to readjust to life and begins a relationship with Spike that torments her as much as it brings her fleeting comfort. Yet even as Buffy fears the magic that brought her back has somehow changed her, Willow's growing reliance on magic is an addiction she can barely control and one that threatens everyone. All right. And then next we have season, the final season, season seven. There we go. All right. The seventh season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer originally aired on the UPN from September 24, 2002 to May 20th, 2003, premiering earlier but ending later than the fourth season of Angel. It was the last Buffy season before the series' continuation in comic form. As Buffy accompanies Dawn on her first day at the new Sunnydale High, Giles continues Willow's magic education in England. But while Buffy is surprised to be offered a guidance counselor job, Willow is shocked to experience a horrific vision of the Hellmouth, future vision. Willow returns to Sunnydale, and Giles soon follows with the word that the Watcher's Council has been destroyed. Determined to make one last stand, Buffy and her allies gather up for an upcoming battle, yet nothing can prepare them for the first and his robed bringers who are killing all of the potential slayers and anyone who gets in their way. Of course, uh, the main cast at this time is Emma Caulfield as Anya, Nicholas Brendan as Xander, Allison Hannigan as Willow, James Marsters as Spike, and Michelle Trachtenberg as Dawn, and of course, Sarah as Buffy. And we have D.B. Woodside, and Felicia Day makes an appearance as well, Elisha Dusku as Faith, Nathan Fillion as Caleb. Uh, we get a lot of people uh, back in this, including David Boreanaz and many, many others. All right. There was a season eight in the comic book. We'll touch on that a little bit. But uh, Aaron, I want to go to you next. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on your favorite seasons. And you recently did a rewatch and you changed your mind on a couple of them. I was wondering if you could touch on that. 
Yeah, so I mean, I've watched seasons over the years. I usually skip season one because I always thought it was too kiddie. It's quite a kiddie version. So I used to always go to season two. And then I always finished at season five because that's originally how Josh wanted to do it, was one to five. And it feels it. Um, then we had, a, we had a pandemic and then Victoria got locked down for like 400 years. So we ended up rewatching it. It was on Foxtel and so it was like, yay. So we, we spent the whole time rewatching it. And I did it from basically from one till seven. And I never liked seven. I think I watched it once. I have the DVDs. I've got the English book versions. Um, but I never watched it again. And I think it coming off six, um, and six is to me coming now the worst season and could actually all be burnt. It could, there's about one episode or two episodes and the rest of it could all just go away. Um, I actually enjoyed season seven. I enjoyed having everyone come back. I liked it that it was the first. It would change. You could get, the, you know, um, the master came back and, you know, the mayor came back. So they all came back. Everyone got to do something. Um, I love Nathan Fillion. I thought he was great as Caleb. They killed him too early. Sorry for spoilers. Um, but they did. Um, so I appreciate Seven and I put way more of the hate in Six um, <laughs> than I do. I actually will not watch that. So what, are, what, are, your, what are your favourite seasons? So it technically goes four. I know that's going to be everyone's like, what? I love four. I find four very funny. funny four is the funniest. Spike coming into the Scooby gang, there you just like there's whether we're talking about his favorite episodes, there are episodes where his lines are just hysterical. It just the brilliance of him coming in. I wasn't a massive fan of him becoming Buffy's partner, but I liked the fact that I liked it when Spike was sort of evil, but not really, but sort of. Um, I love two and I love three, so it, it sort of goes probably. Four, two, three, one, seven, the end. Gotcha. <laughs> Six can just die an evil death because it's just depressing and boring. Hate it. Lacey, what about you? What are your favorite seasons? Um, I kind of break the seasons down into who the big bad was, right? Like I loved the master, right? Um, uh, now I'm blanking on his name because my brain stopped working a minute ago, like seconds ago. But um, the guy who plays the master has been in a million things and just his portrayal was so different than anything he's ever done. And it was just fantastic. Um, then you've got Spike and Drew and Angelus. Then you've got the mayor. Then you've got the initiative. Then you've got Dawn and Glory. Then you come to season six where there's no bad guy. It's just life and life sucks and everything's bad. So the bad <laughs> guy was just life. I mean, I know there was like oh, it was a three. There was a three boys. Right, the three, they were uh, they were like. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. they were terribly. I mean, they well, technically, it's Willow, isn't it? Really, in the end, it's yeah. Willow. Right, and then it's and then it's Willow is bad for like two episodes, um, and then the final season would be the first. So for me, it's the the more physical. Um, Villains are the fun ones. Like when she's actually doing the fighting, it's hard to fight the first, the whole concept. Like the conceptual villains don't really get me as much, right? Like Glory, where she's there and she's not, and she's there and she's not. And not. So for me, it's it's the first three seasons are my are my favorites. Probably three, two, one. 
I have to say, I totally forgot about five. I like five, so I'm going to take that back. (laughs) Totally missed five. So I'm going to quickly go back on that. Four, two, three, five, one, and then seven, and then we get rid of six. But, no, I did enjoy five. Five was the saddest. Five was a very sad. It was Riley leaving, mother dying, Buffy dying, and I love it. And I thought Glory and Ben and uh, Glory was hysterical. Loved her, but it was a heartbreaking. I did more tissues in five than ever, and I still do. Yeah, yeah. weren't they planning on? weren't they planning on possibly stopping the show after five? Is that why? Yeah, it was meant to. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it changed, and you can feel it. Kyle, what about you? What are your favorite seasons of Buffy? My, my overall favorite season is the third season. I think the third season is the apex of Buffy. The mayor is a phenomenal villain. You bring mm. in faith. I really felt by the third season is where you could see where they, where the main cast has really gotten into the skin of their characters and really understood them. And the chemistry was just off the charts in season three. You bring in Elijah Dushku as faith to mix it up. And I think she mixes it up just well enough. And obviously the end of season three also spins off into angel which was phenomenal i i think i think it's the most fun i think it's the the most it's the best of the bads um so i, I think across the board three is the apex of buffy i would say two i would say two after that i think two two you talk about i think two is maybe the most emotional season of buffy because of what buffy goes through with angel and nobody saw that coming and nobody so it was so just what's going on here you also have um, the episode where uh, Angel kills uh, Jenny Calendar and the emotional reaction Giles has to that, which we don't see from Giles normally. So that's good. Um, I would say one would be next, and I would probably go five, then four, then seven, then six. I think. Gotcha. I think there's. It, it's weird because I always antiquate this to nine hundred two one zero for some reason. The show changes so drastically when they go to college and it feel it has a different feel to it, but it's still kind of there. Five kind of starts putting me off a little bit because that's when they bring in the cousin Ollie factor, because now you have Michelle Trattenberg in the cast. Um, six was just emotionally draining. It was it, that that to watch that season just drains you of all emotion. It's just so there. Seven is kind of like, OK, we're back together for our last hurrah. So you're writing the nostalgia trip. Five. Uh, the other thing about five is she was. I like Gloria as a villain. I think she brought a lot of fun energy and was actually a great playoff of Buffy during that during that season. Four, four is the Spike season to me. Four is the, when they really yeah. decided Spike is just as much of a main character in this show as Buffy is, and James Marshers is wonderful in that season, and he's what makes that season so much fun. Gotcha. Well done, Kyle. Yeah, I think uh, Buffy works best in high school. I think when you boil it all down and rewatch it, the most comfortable part of Buffy, because they're contained, they've got the library, and then I think Buffy doesn't, it just changes a bit, but you also you start having to pull back all the, because people spread out, and, and that's how life is. But I think if you put it as a whole show, I think Buffy, and I think Norm said that once, your old coaster, that Buffy works best in the high school. Mm-hmm. Well, it also changes the stakes because once you're in the real world, 
you have the, you know, and you're over 18, you've got the law to deal with, you have things. So once you're, you know, when you're still in high school, you know, she's hiding this from her mother. She, you know, there's this whole conversation she has with Joyce in, I think season three, where she's like, didn't you wonder about all the blood stains? End of season two. The end of season two. Yeah. Like just when she finally, I mean, you know, and there's so many allegories in, in the show to begin with. I mean, about, you know, like just navigating high school and all the different things, but I think it really the the change between high school and college is just the the whole the whole set of of scare tactics kind of changes yeah. because you're you're I don't know I think the you know it's it's interesting I I see everyone's point about high school and I I get that but I think that I I like it when you when you see like, I liked it when 90210 went to college because then you start having to deal with a whole set of other problems. And I, I like it, even though it felt like maybe they spent like seven years in high school. I like it when they do move. And yes, I was a fan when, um, <clears throat> say by the bell went to college, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I think it was inevitable that, uh, we had to go to college and also it introduced, uh, the initiative. And uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out here to uh, David Jedi Jones here. We're going to shout out to the young babyface Pedro Pascal, who made an appearance in Buffy as well. Uh, oh, yeah, third season of season four, yeah. freshman. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's funny when Mando came up when he did the Mandalorian. That's all I thought about. That's the guy from Buffy. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I thought about. It's a guy from Buffy. Uh, for me personally, uh, because. I got into Buffy at the end of season three and I watched fresh new season four. I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm my rewatch is going into season three right now. So I'm really curious to see if my opinion is going to stand after I finish my rewatch, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go season uh, three, four, two, five, one. And I'm going to hold off on six and seven right now because I, I, I've only watched those once if I remember correctly. So I need to go back and revisit those before I make my judgment on that. But guys, there was, as mentioned before, there was a season eight, but in uh, comic form as Kyle face palms right now. So uh, I'm going to let him touch on this, <laughs> but before he does, I'm just going to give a quick little synopsis here. So yeah, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer season eight is a comic book series from Dark Horse Comics. that was published in 2007. Uh, through uh, January uh, 2011. It is a canonical continuation of the seventh season of the Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer TV series. The premise is Buffy and Xander now lead the Slayer Organization uh, Command Center, which is uh, situated at a citadel in Scotland. At their disposal are a wide array of witches and slayers, along with a vast amount of technology. There are 18,000, I'm sorry, 1,800 slayers worldwide, according to Buffy almost 500 of whom were working with the Scoobies. Separated into 10 squads. Squads are Andrews in Italy, Robbins in Cleveland, blah, 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 blah. Uh, For Buffy's protection and because of her name is feared worldwide, two decoys are put in place. Uh, And in the wake of the Sunnydale's destruction, elements within the United States military view them as an army skin to terrorist cells and the characters and characterize Buffy as a charismatic, uncompromising, and completely destructive leader. And it goes on and on with a little bit more details there. But Kyle, you're uh, you gave me a face palm there. What are your quick thoughts on Buffy the Vampire Slayer season eight comic? So I remember when they came out, there was a ton of hype for this. Josh was writing it. The covers are absolutely beautiful art. Unfortunately, 
I wish I could say the same about the interiors. The art on this book, Dark Horse, was bad. It was. It didn't feel like Buffy. It didn't. It felt like okay. They just threw some. There's a there's an old thing in comics for a long time where you, when you had a TV or movie property and you you would throw an artist who was tr in training on it, and that's what this book felt like. The other aspect of this was you got Josh Whedon where he had no restrictions on what he could do because it was a comic book and he went wild and he, it just, it was so over the top. And so just like these characters do not feel like these characters that I watched on TV. And I think it went on for, I think he had ended up doing like through 11 seasons on the comic. And I know he also did angel too, picking up on the cliffhanger that but sticking with the same artists. <laughs> uh, well, no, it cycled through a lot of artists, but unfortunately, none of them were as good as the cover artist, who's the one who did this um, beautiful picture here of Buffy. But yeah, it just you couldn't when you re, when you read something off of a prop that's based off of a property. You know how you can you hear the per the actors' voices in your head. You couldn't even do that with this comic. The art was gotcha. so distracting, and it was just so busy. <laughs> well. It was worth mentioning, uh, I think. But <laughs> uh, let's go. By the way, uh, um, David Zenon uh, agrees with you. He's not a fan of that as well. But let's go ahead and uh, for this Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series, let's get into our favorite episodes. All right. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to stick with. Uh, uh, Aaron and um, Lacey here and have them talk about their favorite episodes because I consider them the immediate experts here because they both, they know them so well. And Lacey, you just did a full rewatch on here, but Aaron, we're going to start with yours first. And uh, you came up with some really good episodes. A couple of them you, you put together because they go together for one reason or another. Uh, we're going to go with, first of all, hush season four, your thoughts on this. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I think it was the only time he got an Emmy nomination for writing. And it was funny because there was no dialogue. Like yeah. there was a little bit of dialogue at the start <laughs> and a little bit of dialogue at the end. Um, can I just go forward with from season two to season four, the composer Christopher Beck was the music for Buffy. And if you watch season one, I don't know who did the music for Buffy and it's not really music, it's sort of noise. Um, then it is Christopher Beck, pretty Christopher Beck, comes in and his music literally makes all those seasons because he had themes. He had Angel theme, Angel Buffy theme, Angel Riley theme. Did his Willow music themes. have a direct impact on this episode? That, that's Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Yes, because you had the um, – it was the first time Buffy and Riley kissed. Um, so that had a theme. And just the music of it, there's a, there's a funny story about at the end when – Buffy and Riley get together and they find out right at the end that they're not who they are and they're, they're fighting in what we always called the Buffy church. It's not a church, but it was very similar to a church around I live near in London where a friend of mine would send a message going, I'm at the Buffy church and he'd only be like five-minute walk away. But that's a sentimental thing. We have. We've finished the bus and it does. It does look like that. It's not yeah. it's a house, but it's got a big clock. But just... The the gentleman was so scary, so scary. And I think the lead gentleman is the guy who was in Pan's Labyrinth. You all know his name, tall oh, guy. 
Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. He's the main one. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Also. And in, then. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, Star Trek. He's in everything. He's in everything. It, to ask what he's not in. Um, then floating, and the grins, and then having like escaped lunatics as their sort of whatever, like their little dog sort of things, yeah. you know, running yeah. around. I mean, really in the scheme of things, if you would sit there and say what's the scariest, Buffy, it would be that one. Yeah. Um, also, I loved, look, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Riley. He was the rebound guy. He was great after Angel. That's how he's meant to be. And I thought he was strong. He was hot. And I enjoyed Riley, and so I loved the fact that they got together in this and then they found out who they were. And just, you know, finding out Giles literally could have a sex life, which <laughs> you would never know, that, you know, and he had the girlfriends, who you know, who turned up. And, and it was just the way they had to talk without speaking. I mean, so many layers and so many amazing things that are in this episode that has no dialogue and Josh is known for snappy, witty dialogue and he got the same reaction through just mine writing down and Buffy yeah. doing a strange thing with a steak. Yeah, same so reaction. <laughs> All right, so the next one you have is Amends, a.k.a. the Christmas episode, season three. So they never did. So America does, on England does it too. They do Christmas and America does a lot of Halloween episodes and they only did two with Buffy. But Amends is technically the Christmas episode. And it's the, you find, you meet the first. So Jenny Callender comes back and apparently, and I, I could be like, is it one thing I made up? But the um, actress who played her, um, what's her name? Maybe um, Lamore. Yeah, which is funny because her, her last name is Death. Um, she had a car accident not long after doing this and then I think found God and actually rejected Buffy for a while, said it was evil and that what she was doing was evil and stuff like that. And I think now she's come back into it again. But she played the first and she's sort of the first is like this ancient evil and it gets into um, Angel's mind and he's come back from hell and he's still a little bit like, why am I here? What's my purpose? And you start seeing he things he did. And I loved when they went back in the past. They do it in the becoming. They yeah. did one with Spike. Going back and doing those back in the past episodes and showing, you know, in the costumes, I thought were loved, love, love, love. Yeah. Well, I love this, again, music-wise, again, the last scene where he's going to kill himself because he's going so driven so mad by the first who keeps saying kill Buffy and Buffy goes there and they have this interaction that is so adult and so heartbreaking and amazing line where he says you know I wanted to take comfort in you mainly he wanted to sleep with her and he knew it would he would lose his soul and he didn't care and I could re-watch those seven minutes of their dialogue on repeat, repeat, and I could start crying now because it's so beautifully written and so beautifully acted by two actors and the writing. It's just 
as much as I love the rest of the show, that tiny bit is my favorite of probably all of Buffy that you, ever happens. You had referenced, of course, you have Becoming Part One, uh, season two, and Becoming Part Two. These were the two final episodes of season two where Angel plots to revive an ancient demon bent on sweeping everything on Earth into hell itself, or plot. Part two, uh, Spike strikes an unlikely alliance with Buffy to keep Angel from destroying the world. Uh, I just watched these two, uh, and so they're very fresh in my mind. Very powerful episodes. Uh, why is it? Why is it in your top five? So again, oh, it's so this sort of season two was the time, pretty much I think from surprise with innocence that kids were watching it. You know, sort of tweens, I suppose, were watching it. And parents are walking past the back of the tea, you know, doing stuff. And then suddenly maybe sit and watch an episode. And that's when parents came in. And I actually had that as a fact that when I was working at Forbidden Planet, that's what someone told me. They said, we thought it was a kiddie show until those episodes. And then we were hooked. And from that, it snowballs to the next one. That's my favorite passion, which. The end of passion technically should go straight into the becoming. There's three sort of fluff episodes, though one of us is Lacey and mine's favourite episode, which is an off thing, but they're fluff episodes. They do nothing to this arc. It drops with the floppy disk and it starts with the floppy disk, not in a straightaway, but it goes there. So, again, we find out how Angel turned. We find out how Angel got cursed. Um, we find out how Angel goes to Buffy. Why he had an Irish accent and lost it, we'll never know. Um, <laughs> just go with it. And, again, Spike coming in, starting with the relationship with Joyce that goes through. Mm. Um, and, again, the freaking music. I can't describe the Angel and Buffy thing is heartbreaking and the way that it builds up to this amazing fight at the end and she has the choice of having him getting his soul back right at the end but she has to save the world and that's what Buffy always did and she has to sacrifice him to save the world and the lead up to the music, the beautiful sword fight, to her then him landing on his knees and coming back as Angel and asking if she hurt and then her kissing him and telling her to close his eyes and that's friggin' music and then she just sends him to hell. The sword, the sword in the, he gets the sword in the gut. He gets the sword Oh, my God. Yeah. That is, that sword goes into his gut and yeah. that sword went into all of our guts and there's not been anything on TV that has heart-wrenched me as much as a couple of those things ever. And, and also too, we get Kendra uh, throat slit by Drusilla uh, pretty violently actually. So yeah, the de definitely. Well, yeah, so all that, all that roll up and, and then, you know, it all was sort of everyone joining in and, you know, you've got Oz coming in now and it's, you know, but that just, that, that again, there's certain spots that you could just yeah. have on repeat. Okay. So next you have Pangs and Something Blue, season four. Okay, so Pangs, so they run into each other. So this is after Spike gets, Spike's gone away, comes back from one episode, Love of Walk-In, 
season three, greatest episode, brilliant. And then he comes back in and he's got a chip in his head so he can't bite anyone. There's a wonderful scene where he tries to bite Willow and the metaphor behind it is that he's got sort of like anxiety, sort of, you know, basically he can't perform and that, um, you know, it doesn't happen to all vampires but it happened to him. Um, And then this leads to that he has to um, basically go to the Scooby gang because he can't eat to help him out because he's got – you know, information about where he's been and the initiative. It also brought, phases brought, no, Pangs brought um, Ray Angel back and it was a Thanksgiving episode. So many funny, so many funny bits in that episode, so many funny lines. Um, Spike kills it for the whole thing. Um, beautiful little ending about how everyone knows Angel's there but Buffy and then that fell into... Um, Willow being depressed because Oz has left, which was another heart-wrenching episode. And But this is a funny episode and she puts a spell on that, you know, she wishes her will and because it doesn't really work, she says, well, Giles, you can't see, so he goes blind and that Xander's a magnet for demons, so demons come after him and that Buffy's not listening to me because she just, you know, has to look after Spike, so why don't they just go get married? And then that's it. They're all over each other. And for two episodes that are just from heartbreaking episode from Willow and 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 um, Oz to these two funniest episodes that I've ever seen. They're, they're my yeah, funniest. you you've so mentioned funny. in your notes that these are the funniest episodes, and oh, I think so just... I think too this is where Spike was really kind of starting to steal the show. And he becomes part of the Scooby gang. And, and uh, there's, there's this, this something that's like this funny thing that's going between her and, and Buffy's mom too, which is kind of funny. Uh, but next your uh, top five ends out with passion season two. Angel steps up to torment Buffy and her friends. And Jenny searches for a way to restore his soul. And of course, this is where Jenny calendar is killed. So if you were to take the bridle off the horse and let it bolt, like, you know, pull the thing back and just let it go. This was the episode for Buffy. So first season, pretty sort of not kitty, but sort of that young thing. You head into season two. Um, you had the changeover, which we did not see, where you made your hero into a villain. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, I can't describe. You then had a couple of little episodes, and then you had the whole thing of let's just make this a show for adults as well. And Passions is the one where it strips everything. Again, music, music that even, um, what's his name? Oh, God, the red-headed guy plays quick name. Can't remember. The red-headed guy plays what? Huh. The guy, who's the singer? His name's totally messy. He's redhead. Massive. Weird singer. Ed Sheeran? No, Ed Sheeran, that's it. My God. Ed Sheeran wrote a song that has a sample from this show, from this episode. And oh. um, so because he loves it and it's based on this episode. So this is where Angel kills Mr. Calendar, who literally is getting back with Giles after her betrayal with Buffy and um, Surprise and Innocence. Um 
and they're about to get together. The way Angel sets it up with the opera and the wine and the roses is heartbreaking again with her at the top of the stairs in the bed dead with a broken neck. Um, the Again, one of my favourite scenes at the end is when Giles goes for his revenge and Buffy, Buffy has to save him and he, she drags him out and he pushes her away and he says, this is not your fight, and all she does is turn around and punch him and hits to the ground and then she jumps on him and she says, I can't do this alone. It, where do you get this stuff? Like, it's <laughs> amazing. Like, yeah. it's amazing. I was crying last night. It is so amazing. Like, he's become a father figure to her and, you know, it, oh, it, totally. Yeah, and the fact that she needs him and, and doesn't want to see, uh, you know, this mentor of hers die. But yeah, that that's it's definitely gut wrenching. Well Real done. Quick. Real quick, I just want to say probably Anthony Stewart's head's best performance on an episode of Buffy. Yes, he also says it's his favorite. So yeah, yes. in if you look at things, it's his favorite episode of all time. And yes, it is because you sort of see the ripper come out. Like I think Kevin and I were talking about this. It was going to be a spin-off show. This, you know, that he was this guy years ago that wasn't Giles. And, and they bring it up in band candy. It's like, well, now Giles has gone back to his past. Is not going to be pulled it together. Giles. But when you see him walking in to whack Angel across the face, you just a totally different face of Giles. The Ripper yeah. has come in and again, but just the reaction of Angel watching Buffy and Willow get the info. Now, apparently they actually had the phones set up that they got that dialogue. So Anthony Stewart Head was saying to her, he's killed Mrs. Callender mm. through oh. them and that's how they got that info. Oh, just, yeah. All right. Mm. Good choices. Well done. All Sorry, right. I get a little bit involved. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are great. Uh, all right, Lacey, we got your favorite five, uh, and uh, you have some really cool choices here. And uh, let's hit on your first choice here is I Only Have Eyes for You, Season 2. Sunnydale High School is haunted by the ghost of a former student and teacher who reenact their tragic romance through the bodies of the school's current inhabitants. Uh, give us your take on this. Why is this one of your top five? Okay, so first of all, my top five is going to be mostly for humor and because I don't do a lot of drama. I, I enjoy the humor in things more than anything else. And mm. although this is a very dramatic episode, I think that this is one of my favorite episodes between Angel and Buffy because their their parts are switched. Um, and it also leads to the conversation in the next episode where he, he's talking to Spike and he's like, she made, him, she made me feel... You can't just forgive somebody for that. I'm going to go rip her lungs out. You know, he says, that's not very poetic. He says, well, it doesn't have to be. What rhymes with lungs? You know, and it, there's just this really fun banter. Um, but it also brings us John Hawks in one of his very few network TV um, shows. He's been very vocal about the fact that he doesn't like um, uh, episodic television in um, on regular networks because he feels that commercials interrupt the flow of, of the show, which is why... <laughs> he rarely does network television um, uh, gigs. Uh, you've got Meredith Salinger. You've got one of Christopher Gorham's first roles as the young boy. Um, it just had a really, it had a lot of good guest stars. It had, I mean, some really poignant and heavy. And on top of it, this is one of the few episodes where you've got a, a, a student with a gun in a school and it's not a school shooting episode. 
Right. That's not yeah. something that you, I mean, now granted there yeah. was a school shooting episode a few seasons later and then they had to pull it because of Columbine and there was a lot of, um, you know, but this is one of the few times where you can actually see this this situation where it's not considered a school shooting, which is kind of a, a rare occurrence. Right, um, right. But yeah, so this is one of my okay. favorites because of the the setup and the guest stars and the overall um, action for it. Um, and I also, that's one of my favorite too, it's been going again, and it's not Christopher, it's Christoph Beck, just double checking just in oh. case anyone wants to query. That music at the end when they join together, and it all comes up and, oh, yeah. And well, that led me. But again, right. that scene when they reversed it mm-hmm. is, again, some of the best acting. It was brilliantly done. It's, it's such a good episode. Oh, it's fantastic. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Next. And even the, the set where they chose to do that scene was, like, the perfect choice. So, um, okay, yeah. so next is. Next, Lacey, you have the prom season three after Angel breaks off the relationship. Buffy single-handedly battles three fearsome hellhounds so that her classmates can enjoy their senior prom. By the way, I'm getting these synopsises from uh, IMDb, so they're not great. Uh, sure. So I just want to let you guys know. But uh, why is this in your top five? Well, okay. First of all, my top five, I listed them for you in chronological order. So these aren't necessarily like in my order of my top five. That's this fine. That's fine. Five episodes, no particular order. Um, this one is my favorite because first of all, you get to see them in their fancy dresses and that's super fun and whatever. But I love the fact that this is the episode where after three years of hiding who she is and, and saving people from the shadows, Jonathan actually gives her the umbrella which is like mm. the class protector award. Oh, and I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> this is so sweet where he's like, you know, we have a new award this year is Buffy. Did, and he doesn't even say is Buffy here. He says, did she make it to prom? Like, did she, That's did true. Buffy make it? Because everyone, and then of course, when he, he does the announcement, like people in the all around her is like, they're like screaming, like hyenas, you know, fish people, you know, like, like the mayor. Snyder. You know? the number of people who kind of know but don't know um it just kind of goes to show that as an outcast in high school you can actually make a difference and people pay attention it was just a very it was a very poignant show um and then at the end of course um angel shows up in the you know the, the formal wear and everything and that's nice so anyway yeah all right so next you have Buffy versus Dracula. If you're going to have a show yeah. called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you got to try to find a way to get Dracula in there one way or another. Uh, the one and only Dracula makes his way to Sunnydale immediately has everyone enchanted. Even Buffy might not be able to resist his charms. This is season five. All right. Why is this in your top five list? Okay. First of all, Rudolph Martin is one of my favorite portrayals of, of, of Dracula ever. Like I know that there's been, you know, Frank Langella and all, you know, Christopher, all these people. I love this portrayal because it's so like he, there are so many moments where he's like legitimately confused by her, her reactions to him. And that to <laughs> me is fantastic. Add to it that Xander is basically the Renfield of the show. <laughs> and, and, and there are several references during this show back to like when he got syphilis back in uh, season two. Three, I think, um, and and this guy, and then there's this whole run where he calls him master, and then like under his breath goes Bader, and, and <laughs> just because he's trying not to be the Renfield, 
around the people that he's with because he doesn't want them to know that he's the spy. And it's just some of the best comic timing on Xander's part. Um, and then you follow it up with, uh, with Giles getting trapped by the three, the three brides and how he just, he's like, no, no, I should go back. I should, I left my shoe. I should go back. Like, no, it's just a really good (laughs) classic one hour telling. It's like a mini Dracula and a Buffy episode and they coincided so perfectly and I just loved it. And there's some of the best comic lines along with, I mean, she's struggling with some stuff during this episode. And so there are some times where you genuinely don't know if she's going to just give in. They work together. They work together. He got the gig. One, I think he is Romanian, and that does help. Um, But he got the gig because he was her boyfriend or something on All My Children or whatever show she worked on way before she did Buffy. They actually knew each other on a soap. That's good. So there's chemistry there, yeah. yeah. I only knew him before the – I think I only – Knew him from I think he was in twenty four like like right around the same time, yeah. As one of the villains there, but yeah. So that's my that's my the the Xander the Xander of it all during the Buffy the during the Dracula episode is, is they are some of my favorite lines in the entire series. So the next two episodes uh, are from season six that you have listed in your your top five here, Lacey, mm-hmm. and of course uh, a fan favorite. Uh, that is once more with feeling in this musical extravaganza, Sunnydale residents find themselves bursting into song and flame when a demon attempts to make Dawn his bride. And also a soundtrack was released from this. And I don't know. I, I don't know if this set the trend for trying to do musical episodes with uh, shows. I, I know recently they did it with Star Trek, strange new worlds, but this definitely made news and is a fan favorite. Why is this in your top five? Well, let's face it. They have had several shows. I mean, Psych did a musical. Grey's Anatomy did a musical. Uh, was there one on Supernatural? I can't remember. But like, so last I checked, these are all shows after Buffy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah before exactly. That, you know? um, for me, the the true like mind blow here is that Whedon wrote and and scored the whole. Like, he wrote all the lyrics and everything. Um, which is, I mean, you get a writer, you get a director, but I, I'm the first person. I don't know a lot about music. I know what I enjoy, but I couldn't, if you played something, I couldn't tell you who sang it. I mean, unless it was like Elvis or maybe someone with a codpiece and big hair from the eighties, that's fine. Um, but mostly I can't remember music to save my life. Um, I loved the, the comments within the dialogue of the songs of the, like the lyrics of the songs. I mean, even to the point where on the soundtrack, there's there's a bit where Marty Noxon sings about the getting the mustard out of her shirt or no the parking ticket and then David Fury has a, a twelve second bit where he sings about getting the mustard out of his out of his shirt from the dry cleaners <laughs> um, and it also has some of the most fun lines where like when Anya is like they uh, what is it uh, Dawn walks in and says you never you'll guess what happened to me in school today and she's like did everybody burst into singing you know into song and it's like no. I gave birth to a pterodactyl and Anya turns around and says, Oh my God, did it sing? (laughs) So perfect. Like just the, the little throwaway lines are what they're so good at. Um, And not to mention like the, I mean, just the tap dancing and everything else. And everyone was, was told beforehand that there was going to be a musical episode and everyone was given the option and the opportunity to, 
like explore their range within their own comfort zone. Right. I mean, just the the different pitches and different Uh, types of music. Yeah. Kyle, you, you had a comment. The, the, the one thing too about this episode that I always loved is it actually is one of the heaviest reveals within Buffy within one of the lightest hearted episodes because this is the episode we found out they pulled Buffy from heaven. Heaven, yeah. They died. pulled her out of something. She was like, I was happy. I was in heaven. I was in heaven. And the other thing is that this is the first time, I mean, Spike finds out first. So mm-hmm. he's the one. And of course, this is their first kiss. Like the very last shot is them kissing. So this is when Spike and Buffy kind of start their little thing where he's genuinely, you know, into her and she's like dealing with some stuff. So she's just like, you know, getting some physical exertions out, which, you know, whatever. Um, so it's an interesting kind of huge, huge, humorous, fun, like upbeat, you know, da, 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 and everyone thinks it's Dawn and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you find out that it had nothing to do with Dawn all along. It's just because <laughs> she was wearing the necklace. So there's a lot of like misdirects and everything else. It's kind of a classic, just a classic fun, like misdirect. Your last episode that you uh, put in your top five is gone. Season six, the three geeks, uh, mistakenly turned Buffy invisible. The Slayer takes some advantage from going unseen. Will has to do the detective without using magic. And Xander finds Spike doing some weird physical training. Uh, that was a description that I got from that. Why is this right? one on your list? It's just so ridiculously funny. And normally when you get the invisible, the invisibility episode of any given sci-fi show, because there's, there've been several, um, but normally you get the person who's like just desperately trying to figure out how do I get back to, how do I, how do I become visible again? How do I, but she's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm going to go do some, well, spike. And then um, I'm going to just like relax and not, I'm just going to enjoy myself. She's like, nobody can see me. This is great. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is that you put the trio, which it's just such a great, like they, they work so well off each other and they're such idiots. I mean, they really, really are. When I think this is the episode where he gets upset. Um, Andrew gets upset because he, he didn't want to stay in Mexico because he didn't speak Mexicoan. And uh, Jonathan's like, it, it, come on, you memorized the whole Klingon language in three weeks. And he's like, but those have much easier transitive verbs. <laughs> like you're just, What? It's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right, uh, Kyle, I want to start with you next. Uh, give us a quick shout out to some of your favorites. Well, uh, Hush is one of the greatest episodes of television ever made, period. And so, I mean, that, that I've, in fact, I believe that is in the Library of Congress as, as, as part of that. Um, an episode that wasn't mentioned that I think is also another very powerful episode is The Body. Um, the yes. Buffy's mother. Not only the performance that Sarah Michelle gives in that episode, but the actress who played her mother in that episode. Christine. That was a very hard shoot for her, just laying there that <laughs> entire time, but having all this emotional around her. And just just how they played that up was absolutely wonderful. Um, the prom is I one think, of my all time. Anya, Anya had one of the best scenes for that. Yeah. Remember I where, I where she yeah. couldn't get the uh, Willow couldn't find the top, and then Anya would always say the wrong things, and then she turned and she goes, "I don't understand why she can't come back." 
it was it was her first understanding. It's so mortal. It's it, that was a beautiful scene yeah. of them actually understanding that Anya isn't as unfeeling as she comes across. Mm-hmm. And the fact that okay. because she was a demon for so long that she had like lost touch with all those human emotions. Like, cause I mean, you know, she was around in some of the, the, the flashback episodes, but she's been around for so many years that she's just sort of lost that, mm-hmm. that contact with humanity. Three other episodes real quick. I just want to drop and I can never remember the name of it, but it's the episode where Buffy's in the asylum. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's on that. It's I wrote it down. Kevin's got it. Yes. I am. <laughs> Know what it is, but I can never remember the name. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen an episode really make you question quite as much as that episode did. And then to my favorite, just for fun purposes, involve evil vampire Willow. Normal again. Normal yeah, again. Normal again. <laughs> there you go. When when the first one, when Cordelia, when Anya shows up for one of the first times and the wish grants Cordelia's wish, and then we see what both and we have evil vampire Willow, and then. She shows up again in our universe, and Angel's like, oh, my God, they got Willow. And then Willow comes walking walking in. Just two of my favorite episodes because evil vampire Willow was not only really fun, she was kind of hot, too. So, And that was also <laughs> the first time where they foreshadowed where Willow was going to come out because she said, I think I'm, I think vampire me is kind of gay. <laughs> like, I mean, she, <laughs> all of a sudden, and then, of course, two seasons later, it, you're like, oh, well, hey, there you go, you know. Um, which was kind of a fun little flashback. Uh, for me, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm continuing my rewatch. So I'm going to reserve to update my list at a later time, but hush by far is always been my favorite episode. Uh, there's some been some other good ones too. Uh, but what's interesting is I've been going through season two and three. Um, one of my favorites is faith's first appearance in faith, hope and trick, uh, which is coming up soon. So almost mm-hmm. there. Uh, it's a silly episode, but I always remember it is band candy when the adults uh, start yes! acting like immature teenagers because of the Armin first candy. shines so <laughs> well in that episode. And because I'm a huge fan of John Ritter, I like season two's Ted, where he Ted. plays the strange robot uh, new boyfriend, and he keeps calling Buffy little lady. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I Good villain. I just got to say that. I just I love that. One. So, yeah. Nice. All right, guys, uh, as uh, we are continuing through our uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series retrospective here in Time Warp, we got another big segment that we're going to touch on. We're going to talk about some of our favorite characters. So I found this article that talked about a list of 117 Buffyverse characters ranked from worst to best, Okay. So what I decided to do was they also include Angel in this is I put together the list of the top 10 uh, with some then honorable mentions after that. Uh, I did take out a couple of ones that were, uh, you know, Angel specific or, you know, that had most mostly were in Angel like Fred. Uh, So I'm, I'm keeping it to just Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series here. And number one is Willow. Willow is uh, overall everyone's favorite, according to this article. And I do want to give credit to the article. It's by Adam B. Berry from BuzzFeed News Reporter at BuzzFeed.com. And uh, then we go on with Spike being at number two, uh, followed by Rupert, Faith, Buffy Summers, Cordelia, Mayor Richard Wilkins. Sorry about that. Um, Anya, one of my favorites. uh, Xander, Drusilla. 
Tara, Tara, Angel, of course, Oz, uh, and then we keep going here, and we've got Jonathan Levinson gets a uh, a shout out too in the top twenty. Here's the umbrella. Yeah, and <laughs> Darla, this is getting the top twenty. Jenny Calendar, uh, and then we kind of start getting up uh, further higher up. Amy Madison is in there. Joy Summers, the Master, Harmony Kendall, Princess Snyder, Don Summers gets a mention. Kendra as well. Riley was at number 90, just so you know where he was on the scale. <laughs> but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on your favorite characters. Aaron, you are shaking your head. Uh, give me your top five characters off the top of your head. Well, I love Buffy, and I love the fact that they didn't make Buffy the popular person. That was the whole thing about Buffy. She wasn't popular. She had been, but then when she got to that school, she, you know, she, it was. Yeah, I, you know who I love and is the strongest kid? It's, it's Xander. Xander um, and Summer, one of the favourite things about Buffy for me is when they have the fights. So it's not all I love you, I love you, I love you all the way through. Xander and Buffy have some massive fights. The fight over Jenny Callender when he wants to get, you know, Buffy wants mm. to get Angel's soul back. One of the greatest episodes, again, we missed when they had the fight when they find out that Buffy's been hiding Angel and they have the intervention. Also when Angel came naked through the roof and landed on the ground was still a good episode at the end. Um, again, so and again, with Xander turning around and saying when she's going to let Z Riley go. Like, Xander is technically the only human out of all of them. You know, everyone's had a little bit of this. Everyone gets this. Everyone gets that. But the only one with no powers who is the strongest and is the only person who swapped the course of history because he brought Puffy back and that set all the split timelines because of the new, um, the new uh, Slayer is Xander. And I thought Nicholas Brandon was fantastic so to me i love watching xander i think to me he's what he's up there i love but i mean look i love all of them in the sense of that group and oz i thought oz was so good he just some of the things he said just little hmm, you know he just yeah. did these little sort of grunts that were amazing um especially when buffy could read people's minds <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about you Lacey? Uh, what are you what are your favorite characters? Uh, for me, again, Xander. My favorite My favorite character is Xander. It's always, I mean, and there's actually a scene, I think, uh, season seven when he's talking to one of the girls in the hallway where she gets um, hit by the light that's finding the Slayers. And she thinks it's her, but it ends up not being her. And he's like, you're the one, like he gives her this whole speech about how she's not one of the chosen ones and that makes her stronger because we have to watch them go into battle and do all these things and we don't have the same powers and we have to worry and we have to you know keep the homestead's fires burning or whatever you know and there's just a lovely speech in where he sits there and has this talk with this 16 year old girl who just realized that she's not the the, the thing that she was supposed to be and it's it's so good. And it's so, but then his comic timing throughout the whole series and, and the song, his, his song with Anya in the, in the, is uh, the best one is the best one in fear itself. When he's like, Oh, who's the fear demon? Oh, who's, and you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, 
Giles has to say, don't taunt the demon. Oh, can it hurt me? No, it's just tacky. <laughs> like things like that. The, um, and the scene with so, him and Harmony having the fight. Yes. yes but it's a slapping yes. fight. It's, Oh my god, fantastic. And then in the Zeppo, like he has an entire episode where everyone else, like you see them fighting these big things and there's tentacles and all this kind of stuff. But the the episode is centered on him with the three guys. Uh I think Shannon Rowe is uh one of the guys, the the head like bad guy, um, where they're gonna bake a cake and they're they're driving <laughs> in his in his uncle's old car and they're gonna bake a cake and he has to like really like come at these these three dudes and say like i'm ready to do this are you like I, like i'm ready to die I, you're not coming back this time like and he really didn't put and then at the very end of the night everyone's like oh what'd you do tonight he's like oh nothing like it's just he knows that he makes a difference but he doesn't have to like kind of do sound you, off about it and then you, yeah. spike the other one yeah uh, do you have any other character shout outs to some of your favorites Oh, absolutely. I mean, Spike, I think over the entire season, the series, and then going, moving on into Angel, I think he has the the most dramatic arc overall. I mean, he starts out as the bad guy. He flounders back and forth. He gets the chip. So he's a good guy. Then he gets the chip out. Then he has the almost rape scene. And then he voluntarily gets his soul back. Like that's a lot. I mean, and then you know, so, and then he gives his life and then he gives, you know, it, it, like, I think that he probably has the most dramatic arc of any of the characters over the whole 12 seasons. Um, and then Oz and his comments about like, like <laughs> he is so deadpan. Everything he says is just like, yeah, that's like kind of shady for a bench. Like things like that where you're like, j- just, yeah. Um, those would be my three favorites, I think. Yeah. What about and you, Kyle? Harmony, as, as far as the oh. ladies go, Harmony has some of the weirdest, silliest, like, <laughs> blondie bear, like, just calling it, and it just grates on your nerves every time you hear it because you know it's just going to get her in trouble calling blondie bear over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Kyle, what are some of your favorites? It's interesting because some of my favorites, I think Angel might be my favorite character because of what the acting David Boreanaz had to do in that going from angel to evil angel and just how evil he was as Angelus. And he was great. And he was so amazing in that. For me too, I'm a big Cordelia fan, but my, the thing about it is, is I liked how Cordelia's character developed in angel. I mean, I, I liked her, but she, she took that character. Charisma Carpenter took that character to another level in angel. She did. And, I would agree with you there, Kyle. Yeah. And, and I, I love, I love that. Uh, James Marsters, a spike is just amazing. And he, he steals so many scenes. I think the one thing that happened to him though, in, especially from probably, I'm going to say season four forward is as, as much fun as he became. You said it yourself, Kevin, he ends up stealing the show from the rest of the cast, probably yeah. from season four forward. It becomes very spike centric. And yeah, no, I mean, Marshall's is amazing. I loved him in the final season of Angel as well. I mean, the, the, the Angel puppet spike fight is going to go down as one of the greatest moments in Buffy, <laughs> Buffyverse history. <laughs> that and the um, argument over the, uh, the astronauts and the astronauts and the cavemen and who would win. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I also think one of my favorites too is Faith. I think 
faith, the thing about faith is she, she was, she always was the perpetual bad girl, but she Oops. made you want to be bad and she made the characters want to be bad. She had that kind of influence with her personality and just her charisma with the character. And obviously amazingly performed by Elijah Dishu. And again, I think even in a better performance is faith in angel than what was in Buffy. But that third, she's amazing in season three of Buffy. I mean, I have to say with faith though, I loved faith until her interaction with Xander. But so because I love Xander so much, I was like, Nope, you mess with Xander. I'm out. (laughs) I, the, the one thing about Xander and it's kind of a flip thing. Yes, he's a strong human character, but there's a lot of times because he's the human and they even the other characters take them take that for granted. There's a lot of times where he's treated like a little bitch. And it's it's hard to watch sometimes. And it's kind of makes me wonder if some of that what Nicholas Brendan went through with that, because you know, seeing all these other people kind of really get the star out of it. I wonder if that didn't affect him a little bit in how he is today. He's had some, he's had some um, recently. Yeah. When it, uh, I want to, I want to stay on spike here because uh, he's one of my top five favorite characters, but it, I, from a different angle uh, and a different reason. When I was, uh, I started going to conventions in the mid nineties and a lot more in the late nineties, especially when I started working for the game company decipher, uh, in Virginia, went to a lot of conventions because of that. James Marsters was heavy on the convention circuit. He was the star from the Buffy universe that you saw most. He kind of reminds me of how uh, Robbie Amell and, and his brother, how they're always out there doing the things uh, and being, you know, in, in the supernatural cast and all those people. Uh, he was at all of them. And I got a chance to meet him a couple of times. And he's he's a great guy. He's very good to his his fans. And I think that uh, he knew and took advantage of being able to do these convention appearances and making a lot of extra money doing it too. But I feel though he did uh, pay it backward or pay it forwards with the fans. And he uh, was always really good with the fans and uh, very entertaining on stage. And of course, throughout Buffy and Angel, uh, he stole almost every scene that he was in. And so that, that uh, was one of the reasons why uh, he was my favorite. Uh, for a character, for a character who was meant to die and literally that first yeah. episode. Yeah. Andrew Stiller was meant to keep going. And then if you, you know, I've heard interviews where he said, Joss Whedon had him against the wall saying you've ruined everything because <laughs> he, he literally, because they were all meant to be, that uh, they were just sort of fluff around. They weren't meant to be solid characters. Yeah. And he made Spike. And then Lover's Walk, season three, I'm coming in for one episode. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to say some of the best things ever, and I'm going to leave singing a version of my way as Sid Vicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, actually, Kevin, I have a really quick James Marshall story for you. You talk about him in convention circuit. That, yes. In that era. I went to a convention in Chicago, a Wizard World convention, with a buddy of mine, and his wife was in love with James Marsters. And he was telling us, and he saw that my buddy had a cell phone on. He said, call your wife. He called him, went into Spike voice, and she literally fainted on the phone <laughs> because Spike was called. <laughs> That's awesome. And for the thing, I like him with the, the English accent more than the American ones. 
Mm-hmm. It's weird hearing him talk. Same with Wesley. Yeah. Because I'm so used to it. And he he's he's like that out in the wild as well. Um when I lived in LA, he he um he used to play uh with his band um at some of the smaller clubs like 14 below and some of those little you know, kind of the little pop-up areas and stuff. And he was always just sort of like hanging outside, talking to people. And then he'd be like, oh, I got to go you know, do a set and then come back out and just hang out. And talk. I mean, he was just very laid back, very nice, just very gen- genuine and generous with everybody. I, I also seem to remember too, that I was so surprised he was from California. <laughs> and uh, it, he was the one actor that like, when I really kind of started paying attention to how our, how actors are doing good uh, you know, accents from other other countries and styles, you know, and then we get now it's like you got a question: Are they Australia, New Zealand? <laughs> you know, there used to be a joke back in the nineties uh, and early two thousands that Canadians made the best Americans. Now it's Australians and English and and, and you know stuff so that you get a lot of those actors uh, doing English accents now. But that was one of the things that I remember. Uh, I want to also give a shout out to Elijah Dushku. Got a big crush on her. Uh, I loved her as Faith. Good, strong character. Uh, get some really good scary, uh, scary <laughs> uh, story arcs with her as well. And uh, I also, I also loved uh, Anya. I loved the relationship mm. with her and Xander. When it's some of the funniest moments in the whole bunny costume here, uh, I think I should throw that one out as one of my favorite episodes too. Just absolutely hilarious. But also too, I love a uh, big fan of Oz, and I love the fact that he was a werewolf. I love the in, I love how he was crushing on Willow from a distance, and uh, I love the moments that they had together. And uh, I'm a big fan of, of of him as well, Seth Green. So those are some of my favorites. Uh, Kyle, one of the greatest Oz moments is when he just casually calls the family. Is such and such a werewolf? Because <laughs> <laughs> that Definitely. character had bit him. So <laughs> uh, give a shout out here long to Nathan. Story. Not bit, maybe not so long. <laughs> Shout out to Nathan here as, well, as Caleb, one of uh, the good villains of Buffy, too. He had a nice little story arc. As, that that was Joss giving his uh, Firefly people some love after what yeah. happened to Firefly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, guys, we got uh, one more thing that's kind of near and dear to my heart uh, that I would like to talk about. <laughs> is remembering all the bands who played on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and as we know, and I've got my, my concert shirt here that my wife gave to me. This is a Dingo Ate My Baby live at the Bronze. Bronze was a great set piece. It gave um, uh, great stories for our main cast to go hang out, have some fights, kill some vampires, but also have some great bands. And uh, I, picked t- I picked five of, my opinion, the most notable one. And of course, Amy Mann, uh, she was a solo artist uh, after going on from Till Tuesday. Legendary singer-songwriter Amy Mann played the bronze in Season 7, Episode 8, Sleeper. Along with her band, she performed How It Goes and Pavlov's Bell from her incredible 2002 album, Lost in Space. We also had Nerf Herder, who does the lead, um, the lead song in Buffy. They actually played up there as well. And by the way, they're from my hometown of Santa Barbara, California. I didn't know if you guys knew that. Uh, The last band to be seen at the Bronze is the very same band who composed Buffy the Vampire Slayer's theme song, Nerf Herder, played in Season 7, Episode 19, Empty Places. And Don joked that they might be one of the signs of the apocalypse. They performed Mr. Spock and Rock City News as Faith took the potential Slayers out 
to blow off some steam. The inventors of Nerdcore, the band formed in Santa Barbara, and were together from 94 to 2003. They reunited in 2005, and their last album was released in 2016. Uh, next, we have The Breeders, one of the best bands to survive the 90s and continue releasing great music in the years that followed. The Breeders appeared on Buffy the Vampire Slayer because sisters Kim and Kelly Deal are huge fans of the show. The band played the bronze as Don danced with RJ in season seven, episode six, him performing two songs off their excellent album titled TK little fury and son of three. The breeders had previously released a cover of Nerf herders, Buffy theme song, and had also been playing the track on tour for months. When Kim deal herself called to negotiate the breeders appearance at the bronze, they would go on to record the theme song themselves for radio Sunnydale. And also we had Michelle Branch. Michelle Branch appeared in the bronze season six, episode eight, Tabula Rasa, playing her heartbreaking ballad, Goodbye to You. The song soundtracked several major events in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Tara left Willow, Giles left town, and Buffy kissed Spike for the first time. And my favorite appearance from one of my favorite artists is season four, Biff Naked in the Harsh Day of Life. Uh, as Bubby gets to know a charming student named Parker, Spike searches for a ring that, according to legend, makes the wearer lucky or invincible. And the song that they sing is lucky. Uh, Biff Naked is kind of a punk pop prim princess from Canada. If you haven't really heard of her, that's because uh, she didn't really make it huge in the States, but she is huge in Canada. I got a chance to see her uh, at the Viper Room in the early 2000s. She was great. Uh, she's had some songs and some soundtracks as well. Uh, Kyle, do you remember Biff Naked uh, in a couple of yeah. stuff she was in? Yeah, um, Lucky was actually one of my favorite songs on the highly underrated Buffy the Vampire Slayer C soundtrack CD they put out. Yes. Which I believe yeah. came out right around season four. And um, let, let's be honest, the Nerf Herder opening theme to Buffy is one of the greatest television theme songs of all time. Yes. Also, because it was being filmed in Canada, I also found out about Biff Naked because she had a song on the Crow Stairway to Heaven soundtrack, the one uh, uh, season series about a remake of The Crow uh, starring Mark Dacascos, which I highly recommend. It's very good. And she was in that as well. But guys, I want to ask the big question. So let's hit our next segment here. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk is how would you reboot Buffy? Would you do a continuation? Bring back some of the surviving cast members. I think they're all survived. Uh, uh, bring back some of the old cast members with new blood or do a brand new cast. Who should be the showrunner? Kyle, I'm going to start with you. What would you like to see? This is tough because Buffy is such an amazing show. I don't know if I really ever want them to touch it, but if I was going to say it, I think you have to do it as a continuation and maybe you have a new slayer. That's the focus and you bring in some of the characters from the show making an appearance. Maybe Xander's kind of the watcher of the, uh, of it or something like that. I, I think that's really the only way to do it. But I, I think because I, I just, I know they, there was actually talk of a Buffy reboot for a while with a total recasting. And I think they had a, uh, young African-American actress uh, ready to play the Buffy character this time, that time around. And it just kind of fell through. And I think the reason why is because it's just, even to this day, Buffy is just 
I think it's one of those untouchable shows. It, you're you're going to have to wait 50 years before I think you can truly do something with Buffy because it's just you're going to have to wait for a generation of fans to kind of clear out because it's it's what and then the problem is it's one of those shows that I think is it's beyond generations because parents show it to their kids who then are going to show it to their kids because it's that kind of show. Yeah. Uh, Lacey, what about you? You were nodding your head when Kyle mentioned uh, continuation. Are you on that same um, thing there? What would you like to see? Yes and no. I think if they're going to reboot it, it's going to need to be a continuation, but I think that they need to go with some of those slayers, some of the potentials and actually like, continue with the four or five that made it through the the last episode. Um, Maybe something like that. Um, I would have loved to have seen the whole immortal uh, kind of storyline, but I think that's kind of past. I think that realistically what we need to do, and I'm, I'm, I would watch this tomorrow is to do the Ripper spinoff prequel where Anthony Stewart head is writing in his journal or writing, you know, he's rereading his, 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 uh, his watcher's diaries and you cast him with someone who's, you know, 22 and you have, you know, him do like a little blurb at the beginning and the end of each episode and do it like that, where you have the full kind of, you know, you get to recast the younger versions of him and Ethan rain and all these people that they talked about throughout the years. And, then um, if you need to satisfy your update of vampire stuff in the, the current uh, time, uh, just watch uh, First Kill on Netflix. <laughs> you, you know, I it's actually, I mean, I was going to say, I have the perfect casting for a young Giles when you say that. Okay. It's a guy who play has played recently played Picard's son on the third season of Star Trek. Picard. Oh yeah. I haven't seen Picard. I haven't seen Picard. Yeah. Have, you seen movie, have you seen the movie Aragon? Yes, it's the young man that the young kid who played who played the boy in Aragon. Aragon. Charlie, Kyle, okay. you yeah, are Charlie, spot on. Charlie, I was um, hold on, real real quick, uh, Kyle, you are spot on there. And if you get a chance, at least like watch a clip from uh, season uh, uh, three of Picard. This guy would be perfect for it. Um, Kyle, did you have another comment you want to make? No, I just wanted to bring that up because okay. that just All flashed right. in my head the minute we All talked right. about so, that. Uh, Aaron, I want to ask you the same question here, but uh, um, when I had my, I have my mind made up of what I would like to see, but um, Lacey, I think you've sold me here. <laughs> I think this would be great. I would love to see a young Ripper series, but before I, I give my thoughts of what I would like to see, uh, uh, Aaron, you were nodding your head when you were, when she was mentioning a young Ripper series, what would you like to see in Buffy going forward? If any. So I'm going to pick a bit from everyone. Kyle is right. Don't touch it. It's too iconic. Too iconic. It's like the Gone with the Wind, the Wizard of Oz. You really can't. Even if you did, so if, if you were to do anything, it would be like a Netflix. Otherwise it will be, so these, they've, they've repeated stuff. They've done a new charm. They did a Pretty Little Liars on HBO that was like, Pretty Little Liars being Euphoria. Roswell. I didn't mind the Roswell, but they're being in, for who watched the first Roswell? I really, I mean, no, but you did, but that, but not as iconic as Buffy. Oh, no. So you might have loved it, but then I enjoyed the new, Ro- I knew, enjoyed the first two seasons of the new Roswell and then someone left and it got same, boring. Same. But, 
Buffy. Oh no, when it was not really good because it was it was good, and I liked it up. But Buffy in itself is too iconic. It's it, what can you do without a whole generation? Like with some of the Star Wars fans when they tried to change, because it is a generational thing. And Kyle's right. You're going to have to wait five hundred years before anyone can change to do anything because if you bring the old cast in it's just it's just not going to work and i hope it doesn't leave it there but going with the spin-off ripper yes because they were going to do that i would go with the young guy called jack loden who was in the gold and he was in um some other things he would make a good and and you're right anthony stewart head does the voiceover he reads his diaries and then it goes to them doing that and you find out that past would be more and you palliative for us. And you can even sprinkle in some of the law, the historical characters. You can sprinkle, I mean, James Marsters can show up. You've got yeah, you know, yeah, 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 exactly. and, you know, the Halfrek and all the people from the, ba- the past. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, that's how, that's how you would do it. You know, um, I what I would like to see if they do it in, but now it's my second choice over a, a young Ripper series. <laughs> I just I love that idea, Lacey. I there is a part of me as a fan of Buffy and all of the wonderful actors that are still with us. I would love to see them come in, maybe do a long episode or episode movie. And then kind of set the stage for the another, another cast. Maybe just call it Slayers or whatever it is, uh, which is uh, what we'll get into in a, in a minute with something else. But letting know that we're still in the Buffy verse because I would love to see the original cast get back together, um, you know, change some quippy lines, you know, fight or whatever it is. But I would like to see this world expand a little more, see a new uh, generation, and maybe if one of the cast members wants to hang around and. and and be the watcher or whatever it is. I, I would just love to see them in one way or another. And I, I don't know um, if that's a possibility, but uh, I'm not ready for a clean sweep reboot of just brand new characters being the same characters that we know. I want to see our characters that are still alive, still looking okay, uh, reconnect again. Yeah, but Aaron. then you're going to get and just like that. And it's no, going to be horrible. No, 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 Do you know no, what I mean? No, no. Because you know, but it is. That's what exactly what came back with that. And just, and and just it didn't like, work. yeah, and just like that, that I, I don't, I think that we would get better with, with, with uh, bringing back the cast. And like I said, you, you don't stick them, or you don't stick them around. You move on with them, but you let them know that you're in the same world. You can have them come back and mix in. Even bring in some people from um, Angel as well. But I, 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 that's why I'm saying allow them to introduce a new cast, but still in the same world. Because I think it would be really cool if we had even get guest stars uh, that were in the original Buffy series reemerge as well. Because if you keep this world open, you can bring back these characters and also expand some of these guest stars that are still around and what have you. That's my thought. Kyle, I, I just I, I want I want to say it because. Because it, it, it's the elephant in the room in Buffy, is I because of things that have happened with Josh Whedon, and I'm not gonna. You can go on the internet and read all about that and go. I really think that that is going to be the reason why we might never get that because 
even though there's all these phenomenal writers that came out from under that Buffy tree, Josh was the straw that stirred that drink. And he, it was, yeah. his, it was for whatever you think of him, it's his magic touch at the end of the day that made Buffy what it was. You look at all the, the best, all the best becoming um, surprise and innocence, hush, directed and written by Josh Wing, all of them. Yeah. All of those big ones have always been the double. Is, of him. Okay, hold on. Is there someone now that could take the helm and Marty Knoxon and Glenn, Jenna, Jana Espenson and still k- get that kind I, of magic with the, I, the, I would, the character development and the and the the script? I I, I would I would agree with you, Lacey. Except because of what has happened with the Nevers, they've even been a little bit knock down some pegs because of that, because the Nevers failed so spectacularly after everything that happened with Josh. Unfairly, I thought it was a great show. That was a domino effect. I think that, I mean, if you look at Jane Espenson and and Marty Noxon and they're just in their their creation and their producer credits over the last few years, just take the Nevers out of it and you've got a ton, they've done a ton of stuff and they've done guest writing on a ton of different shows and stuff. And I think think even with abilities, I think even with the X-Files coming back, we were all excited yeah. with the X-Files coming back and it was just not good. There was only like, one what, what, I don't even know what they, and they tried yeah. passing. They tried handballing it to the next cast. If they're gonna and do when did we same, see any more? If they're going to do it with the same cast, they need to do what they do with Psych. They had seven seasons or eight seasons. Then they've done like three movies and they do them every couple of three years. They get together. They have a little fun reunion. They get together. They have fun. I see. I would be up for that. That would be kind of fun. A few movies and then call it. Yeah, but I I I think we're all agreed. Let's get uh, let's get the let's get the um, the band back together. Get Giles. We 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 need to see what what could or what what happened because I I, that would be and especially with like him like coming back and like and now you know doing the. The, the voiceover and yeah. That's that why would, I that love would Pennyworth. Be. Did you watch Pennyworth? Like the whole idea of Alfred back yeah, in that the was, day. Pennyworth was a lot of fun. Right? Anyway, I mean, such a cool idea. Let's do that with Giles, man. Well, speaking of the term Slayers, Kyle, you've started listening to this. This is a brand new audio book with several of the cast members returning and doing their voices called Slayers. And uh, this is available on Amazon. Uh, original cast members from the beloved TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer reunite for an all-new adventure about connections that never die, even if you bury them. A decade has passed since the epic final battle that concluded Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series, the game-changing spell that gave power to all potential Slayers persists, with new Slayers constantly emerging. Things are looking grim for the bad guys. We get rebellious vampire Spike back, working undercover in Los Angeles with old pal Clem uh, when he meets feisty rookie slayer Indira, uh, who wants Spike to be her mentor. Stakes intensify as Cordelia emerges from the alternate reality where she was alone, is where she is alone um, uh, is the slayer, and Buffy Summers doesn't exist. Cordelia enlists Spike's help with a classic big bad terrorizing the world his ex drusilla uh giles anya jonathan danny strong and tara amber benson also return but through the years and the vastness of the multiverse not everyone who is what they used to be kyle what are your thoughts so far you haven't finished it yet right okay no i I just started this this recently i'm not that far into it but i've actually been following this project since i heard about it a couple months ago 
this is a kind of an interest. This is very interesting because it ties a little bit into our conversation we just had. The t- Amber Benson wrote this. Amber Benson, of course, played Tara. Yep. Um, she reached out, and this she started this after the stuff. By the way, just so you know, it. it's written and directed by Amber Benson and Chris Golden. Yeah. This this pro she started working on this project after some of the stuff about Josh started becoming public and what happened on the Buffy set. And she did this as kind of a healing process for herself. And it turned into this thing where she decided to do this and reached out to several of the Buffy alum and invited to do this. Some of them declined. Some of them said, I'm not ready to go there yet. But for in an interview that I've, I've seen with a lot of the people in this, they all talk about how that, that especially the ones that, you know, like James Marsden, especially um, Charisma Carpenter, this was kind of a healing process for them to be able to reaccept Buffy as part of their life without the Joss drama in it. Plus, and Marshall even says one of his favorite things was getting reunited with Juliet Landau, and it was just like no time had passed. They just clicked instantly again. I'm finding this very interesting. Them using the um, alternate Earthing is, is is specifically. I, I, in ways I like it, in ways I'm like, okay, yeah, this is the cheap out to get some of these characters back, but it's it's where, where you were kind of hoping maybe they found a creative way to bring like a Cordelia back or or something like that, other than just going the alternate universe. But so far, it's very it's very well done. Um, good music in it. James Mar- James Marsters is your central character. Spike is your central character, and it's really good. What's really interesting about this, and this is kind of something they've been doing with Audible books and originals here recently. It's actually recorded in Dolby Atmos. So you really get a lot of sound effects and mm. interesting and the, a real clear sound on this. And I, I'm it's about an eight hour audible play. I'm probably about two hours into it. And I've been, I've enjoyed it so far. It's got a little bit of that buffy feeling to it. Um sometimes it's a little weird because James Marsters, as he's gotten older, his voice has changed a little bit. So it's not quite <laughs> spike spike sounds a little different, but it's got that that fun Buffy, Buffy energy to it, and I just think it's great that it's being also used for a lot of these actors who are coming to do this as a healing process. And I, Amazon has expressed interest in doing more stuff with this group and expanding working in the Buffy universe. So I would hope maybe that that maybe that be, would be our way to get them back together, get yeah. Allison in there, get Nicholas in there, maybe even get Sarah. Michelle right. in there to do that. And Christopher Golden has written, I mean, he's probably written 50 Buffy books. I mean, he was, he was kind of the unofficial novelist with uh, Nancy, Hol- Nancy Holder uh, for a long time. This is one called the Gate- gatekeeper trilogy. Um, oh, wow. It actually hold that, hold that up there. Let me get a good, good shot of that there. There you go. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's, uh, it's nice. It's, um, it originally came out in three, in a series of three books and then, uh, they released it in hardback as, as the, uh, the trilogy together. But, um, he's written probably between him and Nancy Holder. I think there's probably 85 or a hundred, um, books, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer books. And some of them are like serialized from different episodes. And some of them are, you know, like there's one where Angel meets Pike, her girl, her boyfriend from the original movie, like there's all this kind of stuff. And then they actually went on to do an angel series. They've written probably 30 of those. So when it comes down to it, the two people that wrote this series probably have the combined knowledge that's equal to Whedon himself. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
All right, guys, we need to wrap this up here. And uh, I want to uh, ask one more big question. And the big question here on Time War Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series is your final comments. Um, this will give you a chance if you want to touch on any uh, best quotes, story arcs, uh, your favorite guest stars, villains. Uh, just uh, let, let's wrap it up here. But there's so much to cover. We definitely have to cover the big things. Uh, this has been so awesome. We've had a lot of great, great input on this. And uh, I'm going to start with my lovely wife. Erin, what are your final comments on Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series? Buffy's always going to be my blankie. I love Buffy. It was a good Ex time. Of explain, mine. explain that term. I know what it means, but explain that. Blankie. Term. Well, you know, when you're young and you've got your like your stuffed teddy or your blankie, and it's your comfort. It's your comfort, and it was definitely like there when we were going through the pandemic, and in you know in Australia in Victoria, we were locked in a five k radius for three months. You know, if you want to go back and put on a good pair of your favourite jeans and put on your own favourite song and you want to sit there and just watch something that goes back even to, and I know that it is 26 years old. I feel Buffy finished last year. That's how <laughs> yeah. I feel. No, yeah. I really do. Yeah. And even though we don't have cell phones and there were computers, but it was really the start of the internet, you know, because you had the I'm one to look up something on the net. <laughs> on the net. And then you had a beeper. And I think, like, near the end of it, she had a phone. I don't feel it's dated. I don't know why. I just feel that it's, it's the time where I can sit back. It was the late 90s. I was living in London, you know, and it was just a, a, a time of probably – one of my favourites of my life. And so that's locked into some music that I like and people I knew. That is, and I'm not saying it's not perfect. Sex in the City, I can do every single season, I can watch all the way through. It's one block, every single season is fine. Buffy isn't. And I have to say, I probably watch one to five, and I see that as Buffy, and I think that's what Josh wanted. And you feel. That Josh leaves at six and he's off doing Firefly. And I don't think if Josh was around, six would have been as what it was. I think he just had a couple of fingers in it, but he wasn't really in there. Um, so even with that, and there were a couple of episodes, as you said, normal again, and, and I hate the singing episode, but that's just me. But there are a couple of episodes that are good, but in a whole, not good. Seven is, as you said, bring everyone back for the last two hours. But those first one to five, I could literally put on every day and watch it. Like Friends, Sex in the City, Buffy is my little, I want to sit down with my best friends at a good time. I know every word. I know every nuance. And it's just a happy place, even though not all the happiest things happen. It's a universe that I find comforting. Funny enough. If you ever want to look up where Buffy actually is meant to be, it's right in your land, Kevin, Santa Barbara. Because yeah. <laughs> that's where he says it's a couple of hours out of LA. And when he said it was like just before you get into Santa Barbara, don't think it's Montecito, but it's somewhere in there. That is where actual Sunnydale is meant to be. It's near the beach somewhere, which is interesting. Yeah. No, see, um, Santa Barbara. 
Kyle, you put your finger up. You wanted to jump in on this? Well, I just wanted to say I agree with Aaron on, on the aspect of this show does never feel dated. And I think it's because it really doesn't rely on technology. Yes, they do some computer things and stuff like that. But it's about the ancient scrolls. It's about this. It just It feels like, except for a couple of times, you could stick Buffy right into any time frame. But yet it also encapsulizes capitalizes so many things about that time period in our lives too. So it's, it's very interesting in that way, but yeah, the, the Buffy's a show that never feels dated to me either. And I think that's just because of, you know, the fact it doesn't rely on the technology. It relies on yeah. the storytelling and on the characters and they don't make the technology a huge part. And I, you know, I think that's one of the, the ma- magic pieces of Buffy. Did you have any other final thoughts on Buffy? You want to share? So if you would have told me, 20 years ago that when you're listing some of the greatest television of all time, that Buffy the Vampire Slayer was going to be on the list of greatest TVs of shows of all time. Um, I would have been like, what are you talking about? This? But um, it is, it is one of the smartest, one of the most timeless, one of the most fun TV series of all time, but yet it packs such an emotional punch. It, is unbalanced. It's not a perfect series. There's not good. There's seasons that aren't good. There's not, there's seasons that are absolutely phenomenal, but that's what makes it good television because it's not always perfect and it doesn't need to be perfect. It needs to be what it is. And it knew what it was and it wasn't afraid of what it was. It embraced it and made it something even much more special than it really probably should have ever been. And that goes to not only Josh Whedon and the writers teams that goes to the actors that goes to everybody involved in this because especially in the, through the first five seasons, you see the love that goes into this show and everybody loves it. And they know they're onto something special, special. Um, the last two seasons, it will always feel a little disconjointed to me as well, Aaron. And that's also when the, that's also when Buffy switched for networks when it went from the WB mm-hmm. to the UPN. And I think that caused being on a new network, Probably the network kind of had some directions they wanted to go and how the show wanted to feel too. And I think that's noticeable. And I think it's noticeable in how the show looks, how the show comes off, how the show is portrayed in those final final two seasons as well. And I don't like you said, I think Josh was really not that involved in the especially season six, but I think as well as in season seven, because I think he felt he had finished telling his story when he killed Buffy in season five. But it's still one acting performances, memorable characters across the board, Buffy. Buffy is timeless. It shouldn't be touched. And it's something that I think needs to be passed down from generation to generation so they can see what good storytelling can do. Uh, shout out to David uh, 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 Jedi Jones says Buffy is eternal. Yes, we know about the Josh drama, but clearly Buffy has transcended that and will live another 26 plus years even more. Well said. Uh, Lacey, give us your final thoughts on Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. I think the main reason that it does not feel dated is because all of the slang is Buffy speak. And when you're not using regular language, you 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 take it out of the time period. Now, there's a little bit of, of tech catch up. But other than that, everything that's said that's like any sort of slang or any sort of that, it's all Buffy speak. So it's all made up. So he, he made his own he made his own dialogue, um, his own dictionary of, of slang. And I think that's part of why it doesn't feel dated. Um, as far as favorite lines, I think for the whole series, I think my favorite line is out for a walk 
bitch. (laughs) 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 That's funny. Well said. Um, if you know, you know, um, and then when you talk about couples, everybody's talked about romantic couples. I think the relationship that spy and I'm not a big fan of Dawn. Okay. Just the idea of her. I love Michelle Trachtenberg. She's adorable, but Spike and his relationship with Dawn and protecting her and calling her a little bit and all that, that was one of the the key points in his Mm. arc that I really enjoyed was when he finally realized that, you know, he could just be a good guy. So same same with the mayor, same with the mayor. I mean, he was evil. I mean, shout out to being the best big bad ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but his relationship with faith Faith. was loving. Yeah. And, nope. and the scene when in the, in the, when and again another free all the episodes graduation one and two all lead up mm-hmm. um, was in the hospital when he has the fight with Angel mm-hmm. and he really is so angry and he calls that you know that evil little whore of your you know of Buffy that killed my beautiful faith or put her into a coma mm-hmm. um, again that just show just not this guy is evil. But he was also a germaphobe and terribly nice. But yeah, and that's how you just have these layers that you will not get again in any other show. To have you will either be black or white and nothing in the middle. Right. Yeah. But that's Lisa? how that's how well he he that's how well the show was fleshed out. Even a character that's only gonna be on for five to seven episodes gets a full backstory. You know exactly where they're coming from. You you get a real feeling of a fleshed out character and they're only on it for four episodes or seven episodes out of Kyle? 150. Kyle, the, the mayor ate demonic spiders. That's just, yes, yes. That, that's the personification <laughs> of evil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting. It doesn't but feel they were dated. Full of fiber. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Buffy doesn't feel dated. And I think there's a reason why I think I've kind of figured it out. So, you know, when I look back and I look at the fashions, the fashions for me in the 90s, I don't cringe at most of them. Maybe some of the baggy jeans, maybe because I had some. But I, you know, most of all, a lot of the stuff, and what's interesting too, as people of a certain age like us, we remember the 90s more than the 80s, especially the day-to-day stuff, maybe a lot of the programming. Definitely, we remember more of what we were wearing because we were coming into a certain age where that was important to us. The music was important to us. What was going on in social commentary uh, around the world, you know, music, TV shows, whatever it was, we were remembering this type of stuff. And it's a show like Buffy and written really, really well that I think makes us feel like it's not dated, but it does take us back a little bit and remember that time. Remember, oh, I used to have a jacket like that, or, or you know, or used used to have a dress like that, or whatever it is. And as I'm want, doing my rewatch, I'm going like, I God, I used to wear what Xandra was wearing, you know, little things like that, or maybe what uh, Oz was wearing. And I remember crushing on girls wearing what Cordelia or Buffy was wearing, you know. And because it, it doesn't seem like that long ago, even though it's 26 years ago as of this recording but it's more fresh in our minds because it's that time for us was very impressionable. And as I was talking with Aaron too, by the time that she was in London and watching Buffy and going through this magical time of her life, which was one of her favorite times of her life, I was doing the same. I was moving, 
East Coast and working for this wonderful game company and traveling around and meeting new people. You know, we we remember certain things we were doing during this time. And Buffy's one of those shows that brings back that type of memories and stuff. So uh, such a great show, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much for, uh, I know it's been a little long here, but I think that we've had a lot of fun with this. And we could do another three hours. So you better yes. You are listening to and watching the Fandom Podcast Network. And if you're on YouTube, we very much appreciate it. Please share it. Please uh, give us a like and uh, uh, please subscribe. Uh, this is, of course, Time Warp, uh, our favorite show, our Fandom Flashback show, where we look back on uh, our favorite uh, TV shows and uh years of movie and uh, we got a lot more coming up on that as well but uh let's go ahead and let let everyone know uh how we can get a hold of each other uh kyle let's start with you uh of course you can find me of course anywhere on the fandom podcast network um talking about all the fun things we do around here um you can find me on our facebook page uh fandom podcast network you can find me personally on social media on twitter at a w or on instagram and threads at a kyle fandom and i just want to throw this out there too to all you listeners it is um it is Halloween time. This is of course our special special Halloween type episode. And just remember, the vampires, the demons, the other creatures of the night, they really don't like Halloween. They they think it's just <laughs> foolish and they just leave us alone that night. So that is the night you are safe. You should not feel in peril on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> uh shout out to David sending there saying, Well done, well, well done, Slayers. Thank you so much for watching, David. We really appreciate your input too. Aaron, where can we find you on the socials? Um, I'm on Instagram under Erin Gill Triple Six. There you go. Awesome. And Lacey, where can we find you? Uh really mostly I'm on the Fandom Podcast Network on the Time Warp and occasional Couch Potato uh, theater. Um, but if you're, uh, looking to follow someone on the, the, the gram, the Instagram, I'm, uh, the lacy pants. I don't, I'm very boring though. I warn you, I'm not very interesting. I don't post very, I, I repost. I don't, I really think it's time, Lacey, you change your Instagram handle to the queen of movie foo. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I agree with that. I, yeah, I kind of feel like that's a little bit aggressive. I feel like that. I feel like people would <laughs> would challenge me, and I'm not looking to defend the title. <laughs> well, uh, and Lacey, of course, is one of our uh, hosts of Time Warp uh, on the Fandom Podcast Network, and right now we are uh, going back to 1983, which is as of this recording in 2023. All 40 years ago, and uh, we've been doing this in segments. And as Aaron mentioned earlier, we had so much fun listening to all of our older episodes while we were on a trip through northern uh, UK and Scotland. It was awesome talking about movies and going back and realizing all the silly stuff that I said. It was awesome. <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> can, can, I, can I preview something that's coming to the Fandom Podcast? Network? Please. So December is normally the time of green and red and Santa Claus and green Christmas trees. But I'm working oh, on carry. a special prod project for the beginning of December on the Fandom Podcast Network. It will involve green, but it's going to involve something really big and really green because Godzilla is taking forefront at the beginning of December on the Fandom Podcast Network with the new Monarch show that is coming out on Apple Plus on the 17th and the release of the first Japanese Godzilla film since Shin Godzilla hitting the theaters and on IMAX for the first time. Godzilla minus one. We have got I've got some fun things planned with that. And we might even have a very special couch potato theater celebrating celebrating the 10-year anniversary of a movie that very much ties into the Godzilla Kaiju myth. 
So, gotcha. All right, Lacey, do you have something? I just have one question, and that's when are we going to come back and talk about Angel? That is something we can look. Yeah, we'll see <laughs> if there's a uh, if there's an anniversary coming up on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a puppet here that probably has some stuff to say about that. Oh, I, I still haven't seen Puppet Kevin on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, my name is Kevin. You can find me on X uh, and Instagram and threads at Spartan underscore Phoenix. And please uh, leave us a rated review uh, if you're allowed to leave uh, reviews through your podcast provider. And of course, you can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com, Facebook as well, Fandom Podcast Network. And Fandom Podcast Network is also on uh, Instagram and X. Please check that out and support us. And uh, again, I would like to thank my wonderful cast, uh, my lovely wife, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you. Love you. Love you too. Love you all. And, and Kyle, I love you too, but in a different way. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I, I, I feel honored and privileged, but the truth of the matter is I miss your wife. and Lacey I love you too and I appreciate you so much thank you so much and thank you so much for timely uh, in a timely matter getting through all of Buffy so you can uh, speak on it so eloquently thank you it was not it was not tough I mean I have all the trading cards in the books and everything it was not it was not a rough it was not a rough decision Well, thank you again, and please stay tuned for our other Time Warp 1983, rounding out October and November, and we'll be doing December as well and talking about the uh, the award seasons for 1993. This has been Time Warp on the Fun- Fandom Podcast Network, celebrating Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for my Scooby, cr- Scooby crew here. And until next time, we will see you back in time in Time Warp. 